Good morning. Am I on? Hey, I just want to repeat that invitation to the men for the men's breakfast this Saturday. John Eastwood, he and his wife Brenda have been friends with Stephanie and I over the years, being a Calvary Chapel pastor here in New England. And uh, his church south in Southbury is right near Sandy Hook. And he was, he and his church have been there. They pitched a tent and they have been responding and making themselves available to people who are grieving with that tragedy. And, you know, when something like that happens, 20 small children shot and six adults, six or seven adults, God does not remain silent. He's speaking to his people. And he's speaking, really, to the community. And, man, he has a message to share. I tried to get him to come on a Sunday morning. It's not easy to do that with a, when someone is a senior pastor of a church. But uh, he is able to come for the men. We would like to, uh, we want to record it to make it generally available. But he's going to be sharing from the Word and then using the experience and telling us about the experience. But please, men. Sign up in the back for the men's breakfast this Saturday morning. Just to, what is God saying in times like this? What an opportunity. Okay, you can rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. We are going through the book of Luke chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we are in verse 35 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone else? A Bible? Okay. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for the master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak the parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Let's pray. 
Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help me this morning. Lord, just deliver your word in such a way that everything that you want to tell us, Lord, that I wouldn't be a hindrance, Lord, but merely a vessel, and that you would speak to us about this very important and to, to many of us curious, strange subject, the return of your son Jesus, Lord. We're so familiar with the cross. We're so familiar, Lord, with images of the cross and your son on it. But Lord, it's his return. That is what you rejoice in. You mourned over his death. You rejoice at his return. And I just pray, Father, give us understanding. Your children, we need it. We want it this morning of this subject. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So chapter 12 of Luke, verse 35 to the end of the chapter, Jesus discusses his return. Now, interestingly, at this point in the book Luke of Luke, of Luke, Jesus had already begun his final journey to Jerusalem. He's not. He's now here in chapter twelve. He's at the early stages of the journey, but he has started it. And during his journey, a number of times, he tells his disciples, "You know, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die." And we'll get to those verses in the coming chapters. But not only did Jesus talk about his coming death, he also spoke about his return, which would take place after his death. At the time, the disciples really didn't understand anything he was talking about. But actually... You know, Jesus, he talked more about his return than he did about his death. In fact, Billy Graham has noted that in the New Testament, the new birth, the reality that when someone gives their heart to Jesus, they are born again, they have a new birth, that teaching is mentioned seven times. In, in seven verses, actually, are dedicated to that teaching in the New Testament. There are about 20 verses that talk about repentance and faith, meaning that when you come to Jesus, you need to repent, meaning you need to do a U-turn in, in your heart. You know, think about a driver just totally going in the wrong direction and then realizing, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to tr do a U-turn and that's that's re what repentance is. That's what we do when we come to Jesus. Twenty verses about ra bapti uh, rather about repentance and faith. Seventy to eighty verses in the New Testament about baptism, either about spiritual baptism or a water baptism. Seventy verses. Seventy to eighty. But the second coming of G of Christ, over three hundred. Now, for some of us, that's pretty amazing. I grew up in churches, actually, uh, that did not teach the Word of God or even believe it. And 
those kind of subjects were never mentioned. I never mentioned, I never heard them mentioned growing up. I think they were, you know, to folks who d- don't believe in bi- in the Bible, which which m- uh, amazingly, increasingly, uh, pastors and priests and churches don't believe in it. You know, that kind of stuff, it kind of sounds like a fable or a myth, and they don't talk about it. But Jesus talked about it repeatedly throughout his stay and, 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 and repeatedly in his final journey to Jerusalem. He said, I am going to come back 300 times about the second coming of Christ may come as a surprise, but it shouldn't. Why? Because the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus wants his bride big time. When I am away from my wife, Stephanie, for a long period of time, man, I am dying to get back to her, to get her, you know? Uh, and, and, uh, I, and Jesus is no different. He longs to come back for his bride. Is it any wonder that he talked about this subject so many times? The, uh, uh, when you consider the cost of the bride, the Bible says that, that, that the bride of Christ, the church, you men and women, you are the purchased possession. He purchased you. You're a bride that he purchased. You know, in America, we don't do the dowry thing. In some areas of the world, they, you know, the, the, in some areas of the world, like the wife, wife's family uh, pays uh, the husband's family. But actually, with Jesus, it's the other way around. He paid for his bride. And, and the Bible says he paid it. He purchased his bride with his own blood in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it says that... Uh, when Paul is speaking to the uh, people, the, the elders in Ephesus, it, 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 he tells them, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He purchased the bride with his own blood. That's expensive. And when you pay that much, a lot for something, you want to go get it. You want to take advantage of it. And, and, and so... Uh, He's returning for his bride. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible about Jesus returning to get his bride is in John 14, 3. Do we have John 14, 3? It says this, 14, 2 and 3. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He, he's coming back. He, he's been preparing a room for you. Think of, a, I don't know, a, a husband that has been working nonstop to build a home for his bride. And he finishes it. He wants nothing more than to go, out, go back to where his bride is and... Uh, get his bride and take him into the home that he prepared. That is why there's 300 verses in the Bible about Jesus' return. You could say it's his favorite subject or one of them. He wants to come and get his bride. He wants to come and get you. 
Now, there's actually a timeline in the Bible given for Jesus' return. By timeline, I don't mean that the Bible gives the, a date or a time that, that Jesus returns, but it, it does say that we, um, we don't know the day or the hour, or even the season, actually, of the year, but the Bible does specifically identify a series of events which will occur in the last days, on or about Jesus' return. And so I just want to put a timeline up there. Do we have this timeline? And so this is a timeline of Jesus' return here. And so in this timeline, if you see it, at the very far left, it says present church age. That's the time that we're in now. But it says at the conclusion of the present church age, Jesus, the, the church age or the age of the church or the time of the church started when G, after Jesus ascended into heaven. The church began. He said, on this rock, meaning referring to himself, I will build my church. But the Bible says that after, at the conclusion of the time of the church, Look down there in the bottom left. It says Jesus will return for his church, which will be followed immediately by a, the Bible says, a seven-year period of tribulation in which the nation of Israel will be the center of religious life of really the world. The temple will be rebuilt in the middle of that time, you see in the very middle on the top, it says the desecration of the temple. So the, the temple will have been rebuilt. And at the end of this uh, seven-year tribulation in which there will be enormous uh, tribulation on the earth. Remember, the church has been removed at this point. Jesus came, comes to get his church. We call it the rapture. And once the church is, is removed, the Bible does say that Jesus will, that God will pour out his wrath in a seven-year period of tribulation, and at the end of that seven-year, Jesus will return actually to be on the earth and establish his kingdom. Now, after that, the Bible says there is a millennial reign with Jesus reigning as king on the earth, after which the, the top right-hand side, there's a final judgment, and there's a new heavens and a new earth. This is the timeline of Jesus' return. First, he comes to get his church. Then, seven years later, he comes on earth to establish his kingdom and really judge the earth. The book club is going through a book called Daniel's Prophecy of 70 Weeks. It goes into many of this in great detail, although it's a very short book. Uh, it's, it's about 70 pages. Wow. 70-page uh, book here. And uh, if you're interested, there, I think they're, what did I hear, February 3rd or Monday, uh, first Monday in February, something like that. They'll be going over this book, and it's really important that we do understand these things uh, because, well, we'll get them to them now. God wants us to be looking to Jesus' return. Um, so with that, let's get back into the verses. It says, beginning in verse 35 there, Jesus says, let, in light of his return, he says, let your waist be girded and your lamp burning. 
Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men, verse 36, who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Now, the verses from here on out the rest of the chapter have some very difficult passages, and I want to try to make things as clear as possible. And, you know, this is one of the beauties of the Word of God, especially when he begins speaking in parables. They are difficult, and they're intended that way. Because if it was always spoon-fed to us, we wouldn't seek the Lord. And one of the wonderful things we do when we get into the Word of God is really seek Him and pray, Lord, what, this seems crazy. What is, what is this? And, and, and I want to try to make things as clear as possible. But let's, let's start with verse 35. It says, let your waist be girded and your lamps and, and your lamps burning. Now, what on earth does that mean? Let your waist be girded. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, well, get ready for this. I have a picture of it. <laughs> this is a picture of some men with their waist girded. Now, some of you, you're weirded out right now. You're like, I came to church, and the pastor is putting up pictures of half-naked men. Uh, but but uh, uh, they're not, well, they are sort of half-naked, I suppose. But this is what it looks like. Um, and actually, this is a picture of Levite workers, temple workers, getting washed, ceremonially washed, prior to their work in the temple. This is an Old Testament thing. And, and their waists are girded, meaning their robes are pulled up and sort of tied around their midside. You couldn't do work when you had the robe flowing down to the, at, at your ankles. You'd be, you know, doing stuff like this, tripping over your robe. And so that's what it looks like. You can take it off before, um, you can put that down before people freak out too much. But that's what he means by this, let your waist be girded. In our, in our 2013 language, we say, let your sleeves remain rolled up. It's that kind of thing. Uh, let your lamps burn, or, and your lamps burning. The Bible says that uh, when we give our lives to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in the Bible, uh, there's a symbol for it, and that's oil. So remember, at this time, they only had oil lamps. So the, the lamps were lit by oil. So let your lamps burn, meaning, meaning let the Holy Spirit be active in your life. Let your waist be girded, meaning really what he's saying here is go about faithfully doing whatever God has called you to do. There's another translation of this verse, uh, Luke 12, 34. It's the Good News translation. The Living Translation has uh, a, a similar one. It says, be ready for whatever comes. Dress for action and with your lamps lit. So th the idea is, uh, the idea here is, you know, Jesus in the preceding verses in this chapter, in chapter 12, uh, he has been talking about things. In verse 1, he talked about hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, being a spiritual fake. You see, he said, like, don't do that. And then he moves from hypocrisy to covetousness, uh, that which is in us, which always wants more than what God has for us. We're never content. I always want that person's this and that other person's that and that job and that woman and, and, and this bank account. That's covet, just living 
as a lifestyle of covetousness, and he, he warns against that. And then he warns it, later on in this same chapter, in chapter 12, against worry. Talking about worry and anxiety, verse 22, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about what you put on. Life is more than food. Your body's more than clothing. So then here, Jesus says in verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, meaning continually, just look at, let go of that stuff, which we're all subject to. All of us in our flesh, we're we're hypocrites, we uh, covet, and we worry and fear. Just let go of that. Gird up your waist, meaning just continue faithfully in whatever calling that God has put on your life and, and, and keep your lamps burning. Just rely upon the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to work in your life. And, 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 and so why? Why is he saying this? Because I, I'm coming back and how wonderful it will be if the bride is prepared for the groom. Now, verse 36 is a little confusing uh, because in this verse, the church here, or Christians, are referred to as servants and not as the bride. In other places, the church is referred to as the bride. Here, they're, re- they're referred to as servants, uh, and, and the master, referring to Jesus, is actually returning from the wedding. But really, it's the very same application. Jesus is saying, be ready, and how wonderful it will be when a servant is fully prepared when the master returns. Again, in verse 36, you yourselves be like men and women who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open him, open to him immediately. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes, will find watching. Now, this is a verse used frequently in the New Testament. Watch. Jesus says other, in, in another place in the gospel, pray always and watch. What does watch mean? Well, it means living ever with the expectation of Jesus' imminent or soon return. That's what watch means, living with the expectation that he's coming back and he is coming back soon, watching. In a sense, again, it does say that Jesus is going to come in like manner that he left. And when he left in Acts chapter 1, he, he was literally taken up into the clouds. And, and a couple of, there were a couple angels there. And as people were marveling at what they saw, the angel says, why are you gazing up like this? He's going to return in like manner, in the same manner. Watching is, in a sense, it's watching. The illusion there is watching for his return. And so... It's really, really interesting that if you look throughout the New Testament, it, it, the uh, apostles, the servants of God, they lived under an expectation that Jesus, our bridegroom, was going to come at any moment. And so 
let me put up a couple verses, a number of verses here. First, the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 4. He said, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's saying, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Meaning the Lord is, he's going to come, and he's about to come, and he's coming soon. Peter, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7 It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayer. Same thing. Peter believed that Jesus was about to come. James, the the brother of Jesus, says this. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's about to happen John, the Apostle John, little children, it is the last hour. And Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We, some people think it's the Apostle Paul. Many others uh, don't, you know, say, well, you really don't know for sure. But whoever the writer was, let's read what they thought. Let us not give up meeting together as some as are in the habit of doing, meaning we need to meet as a church every week. You need to do that. Some are in the habit of not doing that and thinking they can go on it on their own. Don't you do that, he is saying. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So they were looking and they were seeing the coming of Christ uh, approaching. This is a, mar- a remarkable thing. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, John, James, the brother of Jesus, and the right of Hebrews all expected Jesus, Jesus to come soon. So the Lord, by his Spirit, seems to have put in all these men's hearts the expectation that he was coming soon. And the Holy Spirit appears to have been doing the same thing in men's and women's heart ever since. That, he, that Jesus is coming soon. In fact, Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 22 says the same thing. Yes, I'm coming soon. That's what you call clarity. And, 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 and so um, what are we supposed to make of this? We're living in the year 2000. And Jesus hasn't come. What are we supposed to make of this? Because Jesus didn't return during Paul's day or Peter's day or John or James or the book of, writer of the book of Hebrews. Nor did he return soon after their day, their day or after the book of Revelation was written. So, we're, so obviously they were wrong, right? Well, no. Not from God's perspective. 2 Peter 3.3 3 says this, Know this, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? So the, what, what Peter is saying in 2 Peter is that there's going to be people in the last day saying, Ah, ha, ha, you see, it's 2,000 years, and he's not, here, he's not here yet. That's a joke. He continues on in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow or slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, 
but he is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, the reason God is waiting is because if he had come last year, there's a few of you in this room who were not saved yet and who would not have been taken. So from God's perspective, Jesus' return has always been imminent, right around the corner, just about to happen. And so it's a work of God by, that does by his spirit in the lives of believers and those who love and follow him. He puts an expectation that he's going to come really, really soon. And I, I, I know it seems a little odd because, wow, we're reading about apostles saying it was going to happen soon, and it didn't. And, and so what are we supposed to, to, to make of that? Does the Bible have mistakes? No. In the, we, the Bible it's, is God-breathed, the Bible says, 2 Timothy. But God just does this work in our hearts that, that, um, uh, that wow, he, he's about to, to, to uh, come back soon. And, and, and John, in 1 John, it says, and those who have this hope purify their heart. There's a purifying effect that it has on them. Now, I got to tell you, I, this is not an easy message for me to give. Because I, I, I have a confession to make. I fall short in this area. I long for Jesus' return. <laughs> I, my wife and I, like, together, we sometimes just moan, Jesus, would you please come? I long for his return. But I got to tell you, I don't wake up expecting for him to return. I don't do that, but that's exactly what this says, I'm the, the attitude that I'm expected to have. Verse 37, blessed are those whom the master, when he comes, are watching. But you know something about the word of God that is so wonderful, and that is the Bible says it's living and active. It means when you read it, it starts to activate your faith. It starts to activate it. See, Jesus knew where we were going to struggle with this, and that's why he put 300 verses in about this. And I found myself as I'm preparing this message that it just started to activate uh, my faith as I was preparing this. And, and, and the rest of chapter 12, what preceded in chapter 12, made so much more sense to me. Hypocrisy, be, acting, like I'm a, like, acting like a religious fake, covetousness, longing for more and more, worry and anxiety and fear. As I was studying this, these verses and the word was activating my faith in my life, I found myself just feeling less and less that I need to go out and play make pretend religious fakery which, yes, pastors are subject to that. I, I, I found covetous longing for more and more and more or lack of contentment, just shedding off, falling away from my life. Fear and anxiety. The last few weeks, there's been this issue just buzzing about me. 
you know, not going away. I, I did this a few weeks ago. You know, that's what fear, like a little fear will get in your life. And it's a, we were joking. It's like it has demonic blood, these mosquitoes, and they just, they won't go. But I, I found as I was studying these verses, these wonderful verses, about how much Jesus wants you and he wants me to expect his return soon. Man, did that put everything else in perspective. And man, does that allow fear just to just go by the wayside. The chapter makes so much more sense. It's like, why is he talking about religious hypocrisy, covetousness, and, 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 uh, and worry and fear? Well, he's setting us up. If you would look toward my soon return, you will be subject to those things a lot less. You will be shedding them off of you. You know, it's amazing, the grace of God. We can be told not to be hypocrites. We can be told not to worry. We can be told not to covet. And we fail so miserably. Why? Because we make a law out of it. And we're incapable of following the law because we have no strength to follow the law. But once we look to Jesus, we can't help but follow the law. Is everyone with me on that? Jesus came and he died not only for the penalty for our sin, but the Bible says for power over sin so that we wouldn't have to sin. And and that's part of what happens when we consider, wow, I am a purchased possession. I'm the bride of Christ, and he's coming back to get me soon. Why? Because he wants to. We start sinning a lot, lot less. A wise man once said, or maybe it was a wise woman, as you grow older in the Lord, you sin a lot less, but you repent a lot more. I like that. Just because you start understanding the grace of God so much more, and it's only grace, really, that allows us to repent. It's not fear of God. It's the love of God and the grace of God. Now, some people may look at the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John and the writer of the book of Hebrews and say, well, you know, the fact they had a, a great advantage over us because they lived right after Jesus left And, man, it's not so easy for us. It's been 2,000 years since he left. Well, actually, there's a very good argument that we have a much greater advantage than them. Why? Because of certain events that the Bible says will happen at the time of Jesus' return or shortly after his return have already begun to happen. For for example, the establishment establishment of the nation of Israel. Let's put up this uh, timeline again. Again, in that middle seven-year period, you see seven years of tribulation, the Bible says that during that, at least by that time, it predicts that Israel will be reestablished. Now, for 1,900 years, it seemed completely absurd that Israel would be reestablished. It's why I was just reading a writer from the, 18, from the 1800, Spurgeon, and it was great reading, his, uh, reading, his, uh, reading what he had to say about Israel. He says, I can't explain it, but the Bible says that Jesus is going to be established. I don't know if it's before Jesus' return or after Jesus' return, but it's going to be established. Well, we've seen it. 
It's already started happening. May 14, 1948, the Declaration of Independence for Israel. After about 2,700 years of not being a nation, they're reestablished. The Bible says that upon, after Jesus' return, um, the mountains of Israel will be filled again with fruit-bearing trees, and they will be sending out fruit to the whole world. That was the craziest nonsense, really, up until the last 70 years. Mark Twain in the late 1800s went to um, Israel and uh, commented on the desolate land, just the wasteland, the desert land he saw everywhere. And he says, this is the promised land? You've got to be kidding me. Where there's going to be fruit-bearing trees? It says that in the Bible, it predicts that the Hebrew language, though it, though it will die, will be resurrected. In the late 1800s, Hebrew was a dead language. Now it's, it's spoken by actually millions of people, I believe it's up to at this point. Why? Because the Bible says it's going to happen. So, you know, as these things happen or they're beginning to happen, things that the Bible predicts will happen after Jesus' return, and we're already seeing them happen. Wow, no, we're at an advantage. We have an advantage over the apostle John, Peter, and the writer of the book of Hebrews, and James. And so uh, uh, Jesus returned, such a priority uh, for him. So let's continue on now. In verse 37, it says, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself, meaning the master will gird himself, and have them sit down, have his servants sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. What a, what, that's an astonishing picture. Please don't miss that. This is a reference to the return of Christ that when Jesus comes, it says he's going to gird himself, meaning he's going to get his, himself ready for service, and he's going to serve us. He is going to serve us. You actually see a picture of this in the last chapter of the book of John. It's the craziest picture in the last chapter of the book of John. Or is it the second to last chapter? No, it's the last chapter where Jesus, he has resurrected from the dead. He hasn't ascended to heaven yet. But he's in his new body. And in the last chapter of the book of John, the disciples are all discouraged. They go back to their old life, their life of fishing. They're kind of given up. Jesus appears on the shore and calls them to the shore, and he makes them breakfast. What? The resurrected living God is making them breakfast? Yes. He, he is serving them, and a, really a picture of what we see here in verse 37. Sometimes you may ask, why is it that here at Calvary Chapel and, and other churches, they stress reading, per, uh, you know, personal reading of the Bible so much? The answer is that if we don't read the Bible, we will remain in the dark as, who, as to who God really is. He loves you. You're his bride. He wants to serve you. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, believing that on the cross he died for your sin and was resurrected from the 
dead to give you new life. The Bible says you're a child of God. You are a purchased possession. You're the bride of Christ. And Jesus longs to do this very thing, to, to bless you, to serve you. And he longs to come return and get you. So verse, th- verse 37 it says he girded himself. He made himself ready for service. He prepared himself, and, and, and he, he, he's going to sit you down, and he's going to come and serve you. Amazing how the Bible just turns upside down everything we think about God or how we need to be in his word so our understanding of him is put right. But let's continue. Verse 38. It says, and if he should come in the second watch... Or come in the third watch and find them so. Blessed are those servants. The second watch, the third watch. Do we have any shepherds here? Do we have anyone who's ever been a shepherd? Do we have anyone who's known a shepherd? Okay, I give up. We're in the middle of a city. But, I, I, but, but I, a second watch, third watch, that's shepherd language referring to stages of the night. Uh, the, the, a shepherd, uh, the, when they watch their sheep, the second watch is from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The third watch is from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. I love this reference to the second watch and the third watch where Jesus says they'll be blessed if whether it's the third, second watch that Jesus returns or the the third watch, they will be blessed because so often a man or woman or child, they hear about Jesus and they pray a sinner's prayer or something and they ask Jesus in their life, uh, but then they they go out and are immediately drawn into whatever it is that, that is going on in their life that pertains to the stage of life that they're in. So sometimes they're in stage one, the teenage years. Oh, yeah, you know, I I, I pray to Jesus, but, you know, keeping my waist girded and my lamp burning, not now. That's not what teenagers do. They don't do that. They, They go out and do things that every other teenager is doing. Stage two, I'm in college, I'm in graduate school. You know, I'll get those over with. Then I, I'll get my waist girded and light my lamp. Stage three, well, I just started work, and I've got to get in the groove of my career. Not now. Stage four, well, I got married, and the kids are on the way, or my kids are here. I, I got to get all that right. Then, then I will get my waist girded and, 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 my, and begin to do the lighting of the lamp thing. No. Stop that. That's simply not what a follower of Jesus does. The Bible says that a mark of a person who has been born again, who has entered into a relationship with the living God, who's done a U-turn and given their life to Christ, is that slowly but surely and gradually, their lamp will begin burning brighter and brighter and brighter. I was just reading in World Magazine an interview about uh, Johnny Erickson Tada. So you guys don't know Shepherds. Has anyone, has anyone heard of her? Okay, a lot of people have heard of Johnny Erickson Tada. Uh, she, when she was in her teens, actually, she and her friends were swimming in a lake or a pond, and she jumped off of a dock or a platform and into the pond and... 
it was shallow, and she landed wrong, and immediately she became a, a quadriplegic. And she's been like that for 45 years. And she was just floating in the water, uh, dying and drowning because she couldn't move her arms or legs. And the night before, she had bleached her hair blonde. If she hadn't done that, she would have died. Because someone said, what's that, that white thing in the water? It was her head. And they went and pulled her out. And... She's been a quadriplegic uh, ever since, and the Lord has used her. Hundreds and thousands of people, of men and women, have been touched uh, by her life and, and really impacted by her. There's an interview of her, does depression, so the editor asked her this question, does depression still ensnare you at times? Are you happy? She says, I make myself happy. I make myself sing because I have to. The alternative is too frightening. My girlfriends will tell you in the morning when I wake up, I know they'll be coming. Her girlfriends are the ones who, who take care of her. I know they'll be coming into my bedroom to give me a bed bath, to do my toileting routines, pull up my pants, put me in the wheelchair, feed me breakfast, push me out the front door. I lie there thinking... Oh, God, I can't face this. I'm so tired of this. My hip is killing me. I'm so weary. I don't know how I'm going to make it to lunchtime. I have no energy for the day. God, I can't be a quadriplegic, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, God, I have no smile for these girlfriends, but, but can I please borrow your smile? I need it desperately, and I need you. And it says that she begins to sing. And then the editor says, well, who do you think, Johnny, are the handicapped? So she's asking her, who are the handicapped? She says, maybe that really the handicapped people are the ones who wake up in the morning, hit the alarm, take a quick shower, scarf down breakfast, give God a speedy tip of hat, stip of a hat of a quiet time, and then zoom out the door on automatic cruise control like I accepted you as my Savior, Jesus, way back when. I put my sins on the uh, counter in exchange for an abestus-lined soul. I got this Christian thing figured out. I'll check in with you now and then, but I can pretty much do it on my own. God says, if you live this way, he is against you. James 4, 6, he is against the proud. In other words, that does not describe a Christian life. And if you're going through stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four like that, you ain't a Christian. That's what, that's what she's saying. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and then he says, well, who are the humble? The humble are the people who wake up in the morning knowing they can't do this thing called life without divine help of the Savior. That makes my disability an advantage. I'm so blessed it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning. That is what Jesus is referring to by the watches. Are we growing in Christ? The Bible says that God foreknew us in Romans chapter 11. And those whom he foreknew, he chose. And those who he chose, he justified. And those who he tr justified, he transforms them into the likeness of Christ. Meaning over time, our light will burn more and more. 
and through the stages of life, we, we won't get things perfect. We will fall on our face so many times in every stage of life, teenage years, young adult, married, kids, whatever. We will fall flat on our face. But the Bible says the righteous falls seven times, but every time he gets up. So verse 38 again. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, Jesus couldn't be clear when it comes to the time and date of his return. He will come on a day which we do not expect. And tragically, throughout history of the church, there have been those who set dates and caused all kinds of hurt and confusion. There was some guy last year, what was it, May 20th or something like that, 2012. He was a false prophet. Jesus specifically warns us in the Gospels, in the Bible, that in the last days, this very thing would happen. Read Matthew 24, 23. Jesus says, in those days, if any one of you says, look, the Christ, or there, he's coming, do not believe it. So when someone comes out setting a date, what are we supposed to do? Jesus says, do not believe it. Just don't believe it. Perhaps the most damaging thing that happens when the people set dates is that it can have this dulling effect on the church. The church is supposed to be watching, expecting his return. If it is not careful, these false prophets out there, they will be dulling their watch. The only thing we know about the date of Jesus' return is that we don't know when it is. So he says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41 says, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Verse 42 says, The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward whom, is, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So I just want to conclude with, with that verse. It's a picture of heaven, by the way, and we'll see this a lot more in the Bible, that in the, in the, in the Gospels, in the book of Luke, that a picture of heaven or a glimpse of the millennial reign when Jesus establishes his kingdom, there's this thing about if we're doing what Jesus has called us to do, verse 44 says, He'll give us a similar role except in a greater way, in a more robust way, in a more exciting way when he returns. Either in heaven or on earth, he's giving us this glimpse, this little picture into heaven. The Apostle Paul said he went into heaven, but he saw things that were, too, that were unspeakable that were unexplainable. And here we just get a little glimpse of that, that that's going to happen. But this pic the picture up to now has been the picture of what's going to happen when Jesus returns for his bride. If we can get the picture, can we get Jesus' timeline again? 
the next verses, the next 10 or 11 verses, which we will go into next week, they're going to be, so we've up to now, we've been talking about bottom left-hand corner. The right-hand corner, Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. He's going to come first to judge, judge the earth. And just to get a glimpse of it, look at verse 49. It says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. When you look out on the world and see unspeakable wickedness, and, and governments even legalizing and promoting wickedness, God's not happy. But the Bible says he suffers long and he waits. Not wishing that anyone would perish is what, he, it's what, what the Bible says. In the meantime, what are we supposed to do? Verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Now you may say, well, look, there was a time in my life that... Yeah, I, was, I had my waist girded and my lamp burning. But you know something? I have been just wasting my life. And I'm reading a lot of he- things here that, that are getting me a little fearful. Actually, in, in verse 45, he goes on, he starts talking about people who actually are not children of God, but he's like, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and do eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not look for it and at an hour when he is not aware and he will cut him in two and appoint him in his portion with the unbelievers. This is the judgment of unbelievers. It's a reference to. But you may be, wow, you know, I, I have been, that's really scary to me. And the other day, I, you know, you may say, there's actually a bumper sticker out there that says, Jesus is coming back, and he's really mad. Has anyone ever seen that? <laughs> well, the thing is, that is absolutely not the case when it comes to his first return, when he returns for his church. Absolutely is not the case. You are a purchased possession. The, f- the fact you may have fallen so badly on your face does not change that. But I will tell you this. If you are in this room and you are living a secret or a public life in outright rebellion to God and you are a child of God and you know that you are wrong, let me tell you what the heart of God says. Another great verse about the heart of God. And it's, I'm cheating a little because tonight we're actually going to be going over this verse in Ezekiel. But Ezekiel says this, about you, if that describes you and you're in this life, it says, I am crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me. He's crushed by it. He purchased you with his blood. He is crushed. He is weeping over that in your life. That's how much he loves you. And, and, and if you take anything away from the sermon, take this away. When he returns, if you remain in that life, You may be ashamed at his coming, but he won't be ashamed. You're his bride. The Bible says as soon as you accept Jesus into your life, God makes you perfect, holy and blameless before him. And that he longs to to bring you and return to get you and to bring you into heaven and for you to participate in what the Bible calls the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he wants to bless you and serve you. But I hope 
that you take away from this message today, if you're a child of God living in that life, oh man, just accept the grace of God. The Bible says he gives you a blank sheet every single day. You can begin with a blank sheet and whatever happened yesterday or last month or five years in the past is gone. He gives you a blank sheet for today. Come to the, just, just start running hard after the Lord again. And he gives you the grace to do it. And, and just, just obey what he says in verse 35. Let your ways be girded and your lamps burning. Why? Because verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, he finds watching. Okay. To be continued next week. We'll call the worship team up now. And also, if you have been called to pray, if you can just stand up in the corners over here praying. Uh, If your heart has been stirring, something has stirred in your heart while I've been speaking up here and you just like to pray with a brother, sister, uh, the worship team's going to come up. And during this last worship song, just come up and pray. Or if after, if you want to wait till after the worship song, Uh, As well, just come up. There'll be people up here to pray. It's a a wonderful thing just to be able to bring our life and have brothers and sisters just come alongside of us and pray and just be vulnerable to, to one another. So why don't you stand? I'll close in prayer and the worship team will begin. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful message of grace and this wonderful message of how much you love us. Lord, you want to return for your bride. You want to return for your, bli- for your bride, Lord, and there's n- nothing you want more uh, than to come and get us, Lord. 300 verses over 300 verses, Lord, you've given us. Lord, may our faith this morning be activated. I pray that you just continue to do, do that, Lord. I have a confession to make, Lord. I am so sorry in this area. And, Lord, I I just pray uh, for myself and on behalf of anyone else who agrees, Lord, please, by your Spirit, activate our faith that we would watch long for your return, that we would shed off of us religious hypocrisy, covetousness, worry, anxiety, fear, Lord, just preoccupied with one thing, you, Lord Jesus, following you and your return. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.